it's also about recognizing that there's always someone who knows more about this topic than you do, especially when it comes down to lived experience. Yes, I have read a lot on this topic. Yes, I am very well educated. But what I know about the black experience is pretty much nothing compared to someone who's lived it. You know what I mean? And so that's where I say about like that idea of step up, step back is it's a hard pill to swallow with growing up where you've always been able to do whatever you want to recognize that as white people, as white men, there are some things that we just don't get to do. And there's some things that we just don't get to say. Welcome to Drink the Coffee, Do the Work, the weekly podcast that highlights focus-driven creatives and entrepreneurs in your community. We're back this week with Ryan Coulter, a Canadian teacher living in Stockholm, Sweden. Ryan shares his story of growing up in Kitchener-Waterloo, working in the nonprofit sector, and eventually moving to Stockholm to work as a music teacher. He is an expert in the field of equality. He speaks about his own experiences as a queer man growing up in the region and how we can listen and learn more about others as lived experiences. He gives us some practical tips for how to create more equitable businesses and workplaces and reminds us to step up and step back. So thank you for your patience in us recording and releasing episodes. We really love this one. We hope you learned as much as we did. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. We're just going to start you, throw you in here. Um... For everyone who does not know, this is Ryan Coulter. He's my brother, um, and he is currently living in Stockholm with his partner, Gabriel. And um, Ryan is a teacher um, at a, is it a private school, Ryan? Is it considered a private school? I don't really know how this system works. I should probably ask um, your sister. Yes, it's a, it's a private school, but um, all education in Sweden is uh, free. So, um, it's, it's private, but it's, uh, only in the, only private, I guess, in the sense that, um, you know, we have our own approach to education, um, within like our school, with our company, our company of schools. And then, uh, but then also, um, it's, there's a long wait list to get in, I guess, uh, with our schools just because of the approach that they have. So, but technically private, but, um, not not involving cost. <laughs> right. Okay. And and it's an international school. We should clarify yeah, that, it's right? An so international... that's the approach that's that separates it from like the regular public system. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, the big thing is is uh, I'd say the thing that separates our school is um our one the use of English, like so it's we speak English in all of our schools. Okay. Uh and that's just to prepare our kids to be, um, you know, I guess more capable out in the world, you know, when you're living in, if you speak Swedish, the only country you can speak that language in is Sweden. Um, whereas if you're speaking English, for example, it can take you to a lot of different places. So that's the thinking there is just arming them to be, um, effective internationally, I guess. But then, uh, um, we also just have a, I guess, a different approach to like behavior and, uh, behavior and structure and rules than um, the typical Swedish model of education does as well. So we're known to be, I guess, um, I guess the word would be stricter, though it doesn't really feel strict there. We just have um, more procedures and more more rules for the kids to follow to make to make learning a little less complicated, I guess. Okay. Right. Because right? Sweden so when is in the like classroom, fairly laissez-faire. Is that correct in saying that? I don't know if that's the right term, but like Sweden is... you. The the approach is kind yeah. of to leave the autonomy on the individual. Am I correct in that thinking? Absolutely. Like it's less governance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, like, for example, I guess like part of our, the Swedish approach with responding to COVID-19 with not locking people down is it's really does fall in line with Swedish values, which is we're not going to tell people what to do. We're going to make suggestions as to what people can do. But okay. 
Uh, but ultimately, you know, every person is an independent actor. Wow. So, yeah. And what age is So, our school's a little different in that sense. Like, for example, like, kids, our students aren't allowed to have phones at school. Okay. Um, and things like that, which is, which is intense for a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and so it's a middle school here. So, um, it goes up to year nine, which is the same age group as Canada's grade 10. So, okay. like, they're graduating at age 16. Um, and then they go on to uh, what we call the gymnasium, which is like our high school, but it's a little bit more specialized. So they might go for um, like a specific stream that would help them be more prepared for a specific university program. Gotcha. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. And what ages do you mm-hmm. teach? Do you teach all so, ages within yeah, that? Yeah, I teach I teach years. I teach music to years seven, eight, and nine. Okay. So um, like our three oldest, what we would call senior in our school. Right. So Ryan, can you give a brief bio or background? Like you didn't come into teaching in the traditional, you didn't go high school, university, teachers, college, 25 starting as a teacher, right? Correct. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. you have, Correct. you have a more, and I, this is such a common theme on our podcast that we've never really had anybody that just did the damn thing specifically how you're like, quote unquote, supposed to do it. Yes, so. it's true. I didn't start my teaching career at 25. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm uh, 32 yeah. glamorous <laughs> years old. <laughs> um, I wasn't trying to call out your age. I was just <laughs> really highlighting that you've had an interesting career. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, it's funny. I um, I went to school. Like, I always wanted to be a teacher. That was always what I wanted to do. Um, and then uh, I went to university for a couple years for voice, um, for classical voice. And I, it was just so not the right fit for me, the program that I was in. Um, and it's, it's not to say that pursuing music wasn't right for me, but it just, it ended up not being a positive experience for me. And so when I switched focus and didn't continue pursuing a music degree uh, and did a degree in something else at a different university, then it was kind of like, well, I guess I'm not going into teaching because music's the thing I was going to teach, right? So right. Um, I still, I still, because our mom is an academic advisor, I still got all the credits necessary to still be a music teacher someday. She really, she steered me in the right direction she with that She knew what one. she was doing. She knew it. she was playing the long game and here she won. <laughs> That's very funny. I never uh, thought of it that way, but seriously, oh, she yeah. totally oh, yeah. knew. She knew. She, she was definitely like, oh, I would knew. just like to encourage you. Maybe you should go ahead and take this course. And you're like, seems easy. Uh-huh. I'll take it. Uh-huh. 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 Um, <laughs> and she's so sweet for never having said, I told you so. But, um, but uh, yeah, so... I did get enough credits to pursue teaching if that was something that I decided later on down the road. But it just I knew at that time, like, I don't know, for me, figuring out like, what am I doing with my whole life with in in my early 20s in my undergrad? Just like that was so not my thing, you know, like um, and uh, so thankfully, um, because my mom is an academic advisor, when I switched to University of Waterloo, she kind of helped me to focus my education on the things that I cared about that would make me feel motivated to go to school. Right. Um, and so for that, other than getting the courses that I needed um, when I was doing, then doing a li- switching into a liberal arts degree, then I could study things that I cared about. So I was studying things like um, uh, the sexuality, marriage and family studies faculty at University of Waterloo. So a lot of courses in, um, you know, uh, feminism, Gen, uh, gender inequality, um, looking at the changing family structure, 
um, talking about things like traditional masculinity um, and and all that stuff. But then I was also studying a lot of work, uh, doing a lot of work in uh, speech, the speech communication field as well. So like speech writing, public speaking. Um, and so I, I don't know, kind of like Frankenstein together a degree where I got to do things I cared about, which was like talk about feminism and do it like publicly in public speaking. So, huh? It's yeah. so interesting because yeah. I like witnessed it happen as it was happening Slowly over time. And now like hearing you talk about that, I'm like, huh, your perspective. On, I mean, I was I'm two years mm-hmm. younger than Ryan mm-hmm. and I was is so self-involved in my own university process while my mom was like dragging me through it Ryan is a much better student than I was and my mom was like just go to class (laughs) and meanwhile I was like why is Ryan taking these courses these will never be useful for anything and turns out they're far more useful in regular everyday life than a geography degree was like who knew I like I didn't know (laughs) um but I I have to say as your sister, but also as your friend, I am so proud of you for sticking to um, those courses and knowing what made sense for you. Because when you're that age, knowing what makes sense for you is really hard to nail down, right? So uh, good for you. Yeah. And how did you you. get to Sweden from where you are now? That's kind of seems like. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I (laughs) that's a longer story. But uh, basically, when I was finishing up my undergrad, I started working. I started working like an entry level job with a fundraising company that works with nonprofit organizations. Okay. Um, and that was like, I started doing that and I loved it and I was really good at it. And it was like, oh, this is the thing I've been looking for. And yeah. so I did that for five years and moved up within that company. Um, and uh, that was cool because it gave me the chance to like bounce around and travel all over Canada. Um, and I worked from coast to coast within the five years that I worked there, which was really cool. Um, but then when I quit that job and it was kind of like, I mean, I, I built a lot of really valuable and useful skills there. I got a lot of really great experience under my belt, you know, like opening and managing an, an office at the age of 25. Like that's pretty lucky, I'd say. Um, but then also like the, the amount of burnout that comes from working in fundraising as well. Um, that was that I was just burnt out. So when I left that, it, I was really kind of, mm, kind of just floating around and not sure what it was that I wanted to do. Um, but I was then I moved back to Kitchener Waterloo just to, you know, be closer to home and, uh, sort my stuff out there. Um, and I was working there as well. And then I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to hop off the career track for a minute because I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sample, you know, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the Costco aisle of life and I'm going to sample. So, uh, I just, I honestly, like, I was like, I'm just going to get like a, a serving job. And I did. So I got a serving job and then it gave me the opportunity to do like, kind of like what would I do with my degree, which is like, just do things that I'm passionate about that I really enjoy. Um, and I got to, um, you know, volunteer at the high school that I went to Eastwood, uh, in Kitchener. And that was like, well, I've got some time in my schedule. I remember at the time, a girl that I was working with in this restaurant, she graduated teacher's college and got a job at the school that I graduated from. And I remember at the time being like, oh, I'm jealous, like noticing this feeling of jealousy that I was having and being like, why am I jealous of her that she got this teaching job? And that was kind of like, well, maybe I'll go volunteer there and see if there's something there. Um, And it ended up being just an amazing experience. And uh, um, 
it really, it just kind of woke me up to, okay, I've been kind of tiptoeing around this thing. This is what I want to do. And this is where my skill set lies. And I went out and it took me longer to get here, but I went and built a lot of skills that I think make me better for the job now than I would have been had I just gone there straight mm -hmm. out of university. So um, I volunteered at Eastwood for a year um, working with their choirs and their musical and their strings program and then applied to teacher's college and then went to teacher's college and then got recruited to come teach in Sweden. <laughs> how did you get recruited? Like, how did you have to apply? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, a friend of mine from school, uh, his girlfriend was already teaching here. Okay. And uh, so we all knew that he was already planning to come and teach in Sweden. Uh, I mean, like he already had the job lined up. He was on every break coming to visit her and then coming back telling us what Sweden was like. Yeah. And, uh, and then because the school had that connection there, we, when we had like a, teacher you know like we have teacher job fairs in teachers college so you can go around and speak to different school boards or whatever okay um to see where you might want to land because they come around and recruit um and then this swedish company that i work for was there and uh um and i was like oh no like going to sweden that's not for me like i know i'm gonna go back and teach in ontario because like we've got a really strong union and i know the name of the game and i don't want to be far from my family and blah 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 and then, uh, um, I don't know, it just was like, I, I, well, you know what it was? I had a couple of interviews for school boards in Ontario and they went really well. They offered me positions like on their supply list, on their supply teaching list. Right. And I was feeling super confident and I was like, well, like I might as well just line up a few more interviews for some experience. Mm -hmm. So I t messaged my friend who already had this job here. It's like, hey, can you get me in touch with the Swedish recruiter? I want to go for an interview. Yeah. Um, and I went for an interview. Um, and uh, it was okay. Like I didn't get offered the job and I wasn't like too upset about it. It was just kind of like a conversation about what teaching at uh, this one school. The, so the person who interviewed me was a teacher from one of the schools uh, within our company. And I was like, oh yeah, sounds great, you know. Um, but then they didn't offer me a job and I say la vie. And then a few weeks later, I got an email from the principal of the school that I'm at saying, hi, I've come across your resume. Um, I wonder if we could talk. I think you'd be a great fit at our school. And she and I, I remember I skipped class one day, like ducked out of class yeah. um, and was sitting in like a closet in the faculty of education <laughs> at Queens, um, having a FaceTime chat with my principal who that would have been, she, I know she was sitting at home cause we're six hours ahead here. So she was sitting at home in like running gear, uh, just sitting on her couch, having a casual conversation. And, uh, it was just like, I don't know, having that conversation with her really sold me on, um, like our school's approach to our school's approach to education and like what we call being strict or having tough love. But, um, what I just see is like having boundaries and expectations for the kids. So it takes some of the guesswork out of being, being a kid in a school. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then, but also just Swedish life in general. And she, I, I went in armed with a lot of questions about coming to teach in Sweden and she answered all of them. And at the end of it, I remember being like, she asked like, do you have anything else? And I was like, um, no, actually, I think I, an you answered all my questions. And like, I had a lot of questions. She's like, yes, yes, you did. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I just kind of, uh, I sat with it, you know, they sent me the offer and I sat with the idea and it was just like, why not? You yeah. know, mm -hmm. like, why not? <laughs> like I've, I've bounced around a lot for work already. I know what it takes to move away and start your life somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. 
And the I mean, worst case scenario was it, you... it ended up working out because I missed a teaching strike and I missed having to teach online. So True. I'm happy yeah. about that. Truly, you've missed you've missed yeah. all of the worst things that have happened in Ontario's teaching yeah, for a really I, like yeah. in the history of Ontario's yeah. school board. <laughs> I know it's such a hardcore year of a first year of teaching for my friends back there. So I yeah. feel very lucky that I just got to like, I mean, like it was still stressful teaching during Corona, but uh, it was nice to have the normalcy and to have you know, just a job to go to. Yeah. Um, Cause you still continue to teach in so. person this whole time. Right. Yeah. I'm just curious, what yeah. were some of the, or maybe one or two of the most attractive things about the education system in Sweden that kind of like solidified it for you? Were there different aspects to how we teach here in Ontario? The way that we design curriculum here, we have something called knowledge requirements. So uh, like for me teaching music, my students have 10 knowledge requirements um, that I need to impart into them throughout the year, you know, and the idea is that they're just not necessarily as heavily prescribed as in Ontario education. So for me, one of my knowledge requirements might be, um, you know, and this is putting into layman's terms, but like students can uh, confidently sing together as a group using the right notes and the right rhythms, right? Whereas in Canada, it would be, you know, by the end of grade nine, they must have completed singing an American folk song uh, written from this time to this time. And gotcha. so it's just, it's not necessarily as heavily prescribed, Okay. which for me as a teacher, it gives me a lot more freedom in terms of the um, the curriculum I want to design, the assignments that I want to give out. Um, and I mean, like I personally, having been someone who, like I do have strong opinions about how we teach, how we teach boys about their voices, for example, mm. um, and whatnot, or like how we make music feel welcoming when you're teaching like for me, I'm teaching core music. Every kid in the school has to come through my classroom. That's a lot different than designing a music curriculum for kids who have chosen to take the class. Right. Right. And so I'm glad that I have a little bit more freedom in terms of what I deliver to them um, because it means that, you know, I, one, I can push them further than, let's say, where a more defined curriculum would allow me to go. But two, um, I'm allowed to do things that... Uh, fall a little bit more in line with my values in terms of how to get the kids on board with wanting to take music who previously just have thought, no, why would I do that? Right. Ryan, do yeah. you um, find, you mentioned uh, that you have sort of opinions on how um, boys should be taught uh, to use their voices in music. And, um, you know, we have had discussions about this in the past of like, um, you know, alto and tenor and um, the the ways that traditional music has been taught to kids. We tell them that if you're a soprano and alto, that you're a girl. And if you're a tenor or bass or that you're going to that you'll be a, a boy. And obviously, as the world evolves around how we uh, refer to kids as boys or girls or, um, you know, we become more accepting of the fluidity of gender and um, just certain norms. Um, I have learned so much from you over, you know, the past 10 years um, of as you went to school for sexual sexual sexuality, marriage and family studies. And um, you've always been teaching yourself and learning about equity how do you find that sort of intersection of your own learning and your own just personal interests in feminism and all of those things? Um, how, how do you find that intersection weaves its way into your teaching? Um, maybe we can bring it back to you. You taught in your uh, practicum at a small town high school um, where you would have had to bring in some 
ideas that maybe were foreign to a lot of your students and your your uh, peers as teachers. Um, how do you bring what is our personal values to you into a professional space? And how do you make sure that you are making your teaching accessible? I think the big thing is like, um, we can, because there's a lot of language built up around the idea of inclusion and equity, we can get lost in the language a lot of the time, right? And I think that um, that's maybe where sometimes certain people who who could become allies or who could become more open-minded, people kind of get lost because we forget that the conversation is about making sure that people feel that they belong, right? And so um, I, I have to remember that for my part as a teacher, uh, it's not just about always, um, it's not just always about talking about and highlighting and calling out certain things, though we do do that in my class. It's also about just, you know, creating the type of social culture uh, in a group of people where people can feel comfortable, right? And so part of how I do that is that, um, you know, like, I mean, I haven't done it as much at my school now, but in schools I've been in in the past, like, I am openly queer, you know what I mean? I don't keep it quiet. Um, no, I shouldn't say I don't keep it quiet. It's not the headline, but like, it's not, it's not something that I shy away from. I know that there's traditionally been this idea in teaching of kids will ask you about your personal life and you tell them that it's not appropriate. Right. Right. Um, which I can understand why. Uh, but at the same time for me growing up as, you know, a queer kid who was really afraid about naming what their, their identity or even discovering it seeing men that I looked up to who were openly queer probably would have had an impact on me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's part of it. But I think part of it as well is like, um, we have to, we have to open the door for, um, greater visibility in leadership roles for people who are more diverse to see themselves in those roles down the road. Right. right. So, um, I guess maybe I'm coming far afield from the question, but no, when no. it comes to the, the space in my classroom, at least it's about, um, okay, am I, am I, am I designing things in a way that's going to open doors, right? Like, am I choosing music for them to sing from diverse people? You know, um, same as in the past when I've taught English, am I providing, am I providing resources? Am I assigning stuff for them to read or consume that's from diverse people, right? Are we tackling things that aren't necessarily difficult or going to open their mind? I mean, yes, those things as well, but are we going to you know, I think I think part of it is is like if I'm going in with the idea of I'm going to open their minds and I'm going to challenge them versus I'm just going to give them more information. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think a lot of the times uh, kids just not are not necessarily so so ready for the fight as adults are. <laughs> so I'm yeah. lucky in that sense. Yeah. Right. I think I've gone away from your question, though. No, no, no. You absolutely answered the question. Oh. I guess what what I'm getting at or what I'm leading into is, you know, the past few weeks, our last um, guest that we had on was uh, Carla Biheri, who is a friend of yours. Yes. Um, I love Carla. Isn't she wonderful? And and we were speaking about um, Black Lives Matter and um, the current climate, <laughs> uh, which is obviously ever changing right now, but has been something that many people have been doing this work for years. We're all just now finally getting on board with trying to join in on this movement, right? And trying mm -hmm. to um, help elevate these voices. So 
kind of what I'm getting at here, Ryan, is you've been doing a lot of this work in the LGBTQIA space um, and also the uh, like equity and inclusion space as a whole for years. Um, and for those of us that are maybe newer to this um I think a lot of people are finding that we're going to go into our workspaces, we're going to go into our our spaces that we spend the most time and try to figure out how do we bring this discussion from social media, which is where most of it is currently living for a lot of people, into our own workplaces and into our own lives because you've done that since the beginning. You did that since your your university education. You figured out how to make the things that you were passionate about and valued and you tried to create this um, you made a baby of your values <laughs> and the real world, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's where we're trying to go now is, okay, so if you're not an equity and inclusion worker, if that's not your job, you know, Tim yeah. and I are photographers. It doesn't mean that our opinions should only lie in our in-person conversations with like-minded people, mm-hmm. right? We have yeah. to bring them into our businesses and um, work on anti-racism and inclusion for uh, queer folks and really for everyone in um, uh, positions that require some elevation. So all that really to say, you've brought this into teaching. Do you have suggestions mm-hmm. for uh, people that are maybe waking up to the problems that exist in the world and and how can we bring this? Like, how do we bring it into tech? How do we bring it into coffee shops how do we bring this into our businesses and into our because a lot of people that listen to this are our business owners right so we're in positions to make decisions um that will impact Mm -hmm. our clients that will impact our employees right um so how do we how do we bring this into our workspace rather than just having it exist as a social media movement good questions uh i think i think the first thing is to recognize that when it comes to when it comes to being inclusive when it comes to uh, having an equitable framework, like there's always work to be done. I make mistakes. Um, you know what I mean? And I like, I still have so much learning ahead of me. And I think that's the thing about being a human and being alive in the world is like, I mean, your biggest, most important job is to just keep learning until the day that you die. Right. And, um, I think that, you know, even when we mean really well, we can get caught, we can get caught up in our ego or we can get caught up in this checklist of what people should and shouldn't be doing. You know what I mean? And of course, it's really, it's easy for me to clock the people in my life who um, might be saying or doing things that are offensive or hurtful or problematic. You know what I mean? And I can call them out. I can tell them where they're wrong. Right. But I think as well, um, uh, I think a lot of times we have to be conscientious of like, What's my goal here, right? Is my goal to is my goal to really educate uh, this person? These things take time. They take a lot of time, right? And um, I've made the mistake so much in the past of like telling people off for doing or saying things that are wrong. And I see a lot of that now on social media from people that I'm like, okay, this person's you know, quote unquote, woke now where a few months ago, like I would not have expected this, right? So why is that person now comfortable? ranting calling someone out on the internet telling them what to do right and i think there is still like on our part as aspiring allies people who are trying to um to be there for more marginalized folks is to recognize like there's always work to be done i think part of it too is like just some um you know this idea of like step up step back really developing a stronger understanding of like okay when is my moment to step up to call something out that's problematic 
Uh, and when is my moment to step back? And I think um, for a lot of white folks, for example, um, the idea of stepping back is still a learned skill that some people need to be working on even more so, right? Like fighting that instinct to make yourself the center of a race-based conversation, <laughs> right? Um, is a big one as well. When we talk about doing these things at work, I think like from a leadership level, for example, you know, like uh, I do this in teaching, I used to do this in management, and this was actually based on advice that I got from the amazing Carla, um, which is like when people leave here, um, I don't want to be thinking about what do I want them to know, I want them to think, of, I want to be thinking about how do I want them to feel, right? Because if I'm a good leader, if I'm a good boss, I'm a good manager, I'm a good teacher, I'm my information is going to get to them, I'm going to give them the knowledge that I want them to have. But I'm only going to get there if they actually feel respected, if they feel like I want them to learn and not like I'm telling them something, you know, um, and, you know, like and more than anything, they have to feel that they're part of it. Right. And so um, when it comes to having those difficult conversations in a workplace, for example, um, I think a, a lot goes into how we have them, for example. And this was something that I used to really grapple with the idea, especially like when I worked in fundraising, for example, and I was young and really like spunky and like, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna smash the patriarchy and I'm gonna dismantle capitalism and yeah. all of these things. And I was like looking to have these conversations and I was calling people out. And I remember at the time, like, uh, uh, and, and I mean, that's all well-warranted passion, right? But I remember uh, a mentor of mine at the time saying like, that's absolutely valuable and the things that you're saying are correct. But I think you have to remember like, is your goal to like, is your goal to be right? Or is your goal to like actually bring them to your understanding? Mm. Right. And I think we have to really remember that it's like, am I, am I doing this? Am I saying these things because I've, I want to show that I'm right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to shame this person or, or is it that I truly want to help them see a different way forward? Right. So, which in some way I yeah. feel like is our own white fragility literally coming out in action oh, yeah. because we want to be right we want to seen as the most woke the most whatever right and like there's no like woke awards the woke awards do not come for you um we yeah. are definitely seeing it right now i think that there is some weird overlap of um coronavirus and how everybody was immediately if you're not wearing a mask, if you are going out of your house, if you're seeing people, we were calling people out on it, right? And yeah. to some extent, yeah. fair. <laughs> it mm -hmm. literally had people's lives at stake. And now we're seeing this with Black Lives Matter. It's a really weird time to transition from one life-threatening issue to another life-threatening issue. And we're calling mm -hmm. people out because we're seeing this as an equally harmful, if not more harmful thing, saying, you know, mm -hmm. Black Lives are are at risk. So now we're calling people out. But I actually read a really uh, great post this morning by um, a black content creator. And she was saying pretty much what you're saying, Ryan, is what's your goal in this? If your goal is to move the needle on this topic, then start calling a white supremacist. Don't call out your friends who are trying. Um, mm -hmm. Correct. You know, yeah. have a kind conversation with your friends who are trying. Educate them by all means. Educate them. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the you're right. Trying to just be the most right person in the room is going to cause for a lot of people to back off and be like, "Well, I'm, I'm not going to do this then. <laughs> this isn't working." Well, out. and it's it's also about recognizing that there's always someone who knows more about this topic than you do. Right. Yes. And especially when it comes down to lived experience. Right. Like, yes, I have read a lot on this topic. Yes, I am very well educated. But what I know about 
you know, what I know about the black experience is pretty much nothing compared to someone who's lived it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, it's that's where I say about like that idea of step up, step back is like um, and I, ha- I had this conversation with a student actually earlier this year when we were talking about something that he had done that I thought was a problem. And I didn't follow my own advice. I said it was racist and it was a moment of bad teaching because it really, you know, that's upsetting for a kid to hear that something they've done is racist yeah. and right. And I get it. Right. And in trying to help him understand why that was right. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was saying, you know, like there's, there's a, you know, it, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow with growing up where you've always been able to do whatever you want to recognize that as white people, as white men, there are some things that we just don't get to do. And there's some things that we just don't get to say. Right. And, um, and I think that I think that message is the hardest for uh, really privileged people to hear, right? Is to is to hear those where it's like, no, you don't get to have those dreadlocks, right? right. Like, no, you don't get to adopt the black scent, you know, like you just don't get to, yeah. right? And no one's oppressing you by telling that you you do you that you don't get to do that. And if you want everyone to feel like they belong, it should feel important to you that you can let go of this idea that you can do those things in favor of someone else getting to live. Uh, a more full, a full expression of their, their identity. I really love that, Ryan. I, I think um, you really helped me in this past week. Um, I uh, wrote a fairly strongly worded letter slash thing that I spoke at council um, about one of our local mayors who has outed, him, oh, yeah. outed himself with some uh, anti-black and um, just fully very racist behavior. He posted a a white lives matter video yeah. on his own mm-hmm. uh, personal Facebook feed. And then when he was called out on it um, in private, he said, if, uh, if you're offended by this, then it's because you're too sensitive basically. So um, I have uh, spent the past few days trying to figure out how I can step up in this moment because it is a local issue. This is very much a, a step up moment, I think um, for uh, mm-hmm. those of us who can, because in Wilmot Township, maybe there's a lot of um, uh, people of color that really don't feel safe having this conversation with their mayor right now. So, mm-hmm. um, so Ryan helped me uh, word some things, and and the thing that I really learned from that, Ryan kept on bringing back what I was writing to uh, think about the people that he's impacting, not about the man that's done the harm. Um, so in writing it, I I had written this fairly scathing letter on here's what you did and here's why you have made, uh, you have, you have done this and I believe that you believe and blah, blah, blah. And Ryan was like, no, bring it back to the people that he's harmed with this. Think about the black community and think about how they are feeling and their psychological health and their, their physical health. And, um, I, I really learned a lot of that. And I think that if we look at our own marketing and we're looking at our interactions with our customers and we're looking at our interactions with our client, uh, our, um, our employees, it really comes down to how did you make someone feel in this moment and how could I make them feel mm-hmm. more safe, more included and more valued. Right. Um, yeah. and I yeah, think it, and, Car- I think and Carla mentioned that as well, right? If your intention is always under the scope of equity inclusion and making f- people feel safe around you, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I do want to say one thing, Ryan. So I, I know a lot of um, white folks right now are afraid of saying or doing the wrong thing. And we talked about this with mm. Carla as well. Um, and 
And one thing that I think I would love your opinion on is what do you think the motivation between behind people saying, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing is because personally, I feel like a lot of it is is not from uh, we're afraid of doing harm. It's because we're afraid of being called out on doing the wrong thing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, And I think that's the that's the that's the tricky thing about moments like the one that we're in right where it's like we do want people to be better educated we do want people to be more careful about the things that they're saying and the lives they're impacting but you know um at the same time i i do want to feel like people are learning and part of how we learn is is by making mistakes yeah you know um we don't learn by sitting silently in the corner and i can tell you that as a teacher you know what i mean like (laughs) and i say it to my students every single day right (laughs) Well, but it's true. Like I say to my students every single day, if you want to do here, if you want to get the most out of this experience, you have to participate, you know, and the same is true in my classroom as it is in real life. You know what I mean? If you want the most out of your life and out of this experience that you have out of the number of years you have on this earth, then you actually have to participate in it, you know, and it doesn't mean that it's always easy, right? But you have to be, you have to be willing to try and go there. I think part of it too is, is recognizing and that's learning the balance of like, okay, when I'm speaking up, And when I'm stepping back and recognizing that sometimes stepping back is still taking action, right? And learning and listening. And I think that, you know, in this space and time, like, I think more of that, that comment around, like, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing, that what that's real, what they're really saying there is, I just don't know enough about this subject, Mm. right? And I'm, and and to those people who are saying, oh, I'm, what to those people who are saying to me, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. I'm saying, okay, then don't say anything. You know what I mean? Like, and go educate yourself in the meantime. Not not be, yeah, yeah, like not because you should be sitting there feeling bad. Mm -hmm. That's not helping anyone, right? That Mm -hmm. guilt is not helping anyone, right? But see that as your opportunity, right? Of like, um, I mean, again, I'll bring it back to teaching. We talk so much about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. This fixed mindset being like, I don't know how to do that. I do not know how to talk about race. I don't know how to talk about Black Lives Matter. The growth mindset being, I still don't have the skills and tools available to really talk about Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm going to go and learn more. <laughs> right. And so it's it's about approaching these things with a growth mindset as well, that, rather than just this fixed understanding that we've always had. And believing that that's the only place that we will ever be in. And truthfully, years mm-hmm. ago, um, when I would hear you speaking about equity and inclusion, I was like, well, that's not a, those are not words. And the conversation around this is never going to be a conversation I will be comfortable being a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hadn't, I hadn't listened to the podcast. I hadn't read the books. I hadn't had conversations with people of color in our community. I hadn't been listening. Truthfully, I hadn't been listening enough. Yeah. So well, I couldn't be a part of these conversations, whether passively or actively, because I didn't Mm-hmm. I didn't get the words truthfully. And yeah. I'm like, I feel like a well, lot of so us, we just think need the words honestly, associated. Yes and no. You know what I mean? I think that that is definitely a part of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like, I want people understanding the difference between transgender and cisgender. Mm. You know what I mean? And if you don't know, look it up. Right. Like there are some, some things where like, yes, you need to learn the terminology. And a quick right? Google but I also think that is, is the easiest thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do also think, though, and I've had to learn this for my own part, you know, um, doing equity work is like for people who are doing equity work um, and activism work, doing it with a mind on like, okay, is my language accessible? Mm -hmm. Right. And accessibility should be an important 
part of any activist's framework, right? Can people actually hear and receive my message, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's not about asking people who are experts in their field to dumb down their message, but it is about saying like, okay, well, if 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 allyship is my new thing, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna take on trying to be you know, a better support system to people of color, then when I do that work of going and learning these things, how am I going to explain it to my racist uncle at family Christmas in a way that he's going to understand, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of it taking the step forward, right? It, or, or, you know, how do I explain it to my coworker or to my boss who just said something problematic and they're still my boss and I still have to be aware of that power dynamic, right? Like, how do you package your message in a way that it's actually still going to reach people. Um, and I think that's where people who right now are in that place of like, I don't know what to say, so I'm just not going to say anything. Those are the people who can do a lot of learning and part of their learning can be, and how do I make this message more accessible for someone who's exactly where I am right now? Right. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Truth. Hmm. Isn't that so true? I really, really, really appreciated this conversation, Ryan. I feel like, um, maybe we should we should have you come back again i think we should we should do this again in a few months because yeah. and we said the same thing with carla i really want to continue this conversation throughout and mm -hmm. um you know tim and i can work on this in our own businesses and i would love to see how the next few months unfold for the other business owners in our area and see what they're doing and what they're working on um I would love to see how this evolves for our community, um, both in KW and also on the internets with you in Sweden. But yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but truly, I I have learned so much from you over the years, but also even just in the last half an hour. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you feel like you would like to to share? Any last any last words? Any moments of wisdom? To be aware of compassion fatigue, right? Uh, and I think that's that's part of the thing where we talk about white fragility and it absolutely is a thing and we as white folks need to be aware of it but compassion fatigue is also a thing right where um and i remember this from my days of working in fundraising where i would spend my whole day talking about heartbreaking stories of living of people living through some of the worst conditions you can imagine right that can take a toll on you mm -hmm. right and so it's there's absolutely no shame in um making sure that you're taking your taking care of yourself as well um, because if you are truly committed to creating a more just and equitable world, then, you know, we need you for the fight and we need you long term. Right. And so, um, I think that's the thing, so, like still make sure that you have a life, you know what I mean? Um, I think that a lot about like, in terms of like myself, when, uh, I've moved, I've moved, you know, cross country, I've moved abroad, right? Like I can't make my whole entire job, my whole life, because mm -hmm. then when my job sucks, my life sucks. Right. And same the same goes for activism work or social justice work is like this is a part of your life. It's an important part of your life. Right. Um, but but you're still a person and you have to take care of yourself as well. Right? Thank you for that. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And it also really ties in with um, what Carla, uh, her work and and making sure that um People oh my gosh, it, Carla's the queen. Everyone needs amazing? to follow Carla. I know, Carla yeah, Beharry. I remember, well, that was, I Absolutely. remember, I remember I was driving around. This was like right before I quit my job in fundraising and I was literally just driving around uptown Waterloo crying. And I called Carla and I was like, Carla, I'm really sad. Can I come over? And it was just this like, what am I doing with my life conversation? And that was where she said, you know, I hear you talk so much about like these things that you want in your life, but I never hear you talk about how you want to feel. Mm -hmm. And it was like, and that's just, I mean, that's changed my life in every facet, whether that's 
thinking about my personal goals or thinking about the kind of culture I want to create when I'm in, um, you know, in a leadership role somewhere, whether I'm in my classroom, whatever that is, I'm in a social space. It's like, how do I want people to feel when they're leaving here? And I have to trust that if I'm making them feel good, they're going to want to listen to me. Of course. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think this was a, a perfect addition to our conversation with Carla and I think will really um, add into this conversation a lot of us are having um, in private and public and um, I hope that we can continue on with this. We're, we're joining yes, you. We're please. here for it. Um, and uh, we do have a lot of new listeners that have come to us since Carla. So hi to those of you who Hello. are just joining us. It's lovely that you have joined cool. us. Um, please feel free to reach out to Tim and I if there are things you think that we can be doing better, um, that we can be improving on as podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but cool. uh, yeah, we would love that. We are here for the learning. Um, and thanks for helping teach us, Ryan. We really, really appreciate it. And hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah. hopefully we can come visit you in Sweden. Yeah, that'd be great. Soon. <laughs> one yeah, day, yeah, yeah. One day cool. we'll be able to get on yes. planes we'll, again. We'll, we'll see each other again someday. No one knows when, but it will happen. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Ryan. Really, really okay. appreciate it. It's been swell. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having us in your ears. We release a new episode every Tuesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram for episode updates at drink the coffee, do the work.